now on documentary and drama on News Talk. To mark the centenary of his death, a docudrama telling the story of Irishman and leading Hollywood director William Desmond Taylor, who was murdered at the height of his fame on February 1st, 1922. This is Who Killed Bill. Who Killed Bill? The life and death of an Irishman in Hollywood. A Tin Pot and Cleverality production. Written and directed by Mark Ivan O'Gorman. gentlemen you're listening to edward j mcnamara on you need a biscuit time a program of musical entertainment brought to you live from kql studios here in sunny california and now to the nation's news the ongoing controversy surrounding the roscoe fatty arbuckle murder trial may soon be coming to an end Tonight, America's most loved comedian and Hollywood's highest earning star sees his fate lay in the hands of the jury as the second trial for the murder of actress Virginia Rappe comes to a close. This may at last vindicate the popular funny man and take the world's focus off Tinseltown's seedy underbelly. In show business news, today, Queen of Comedy Mabel Normand will rap on the shooting of Susanna, her latest motion picture for the Max Sennett Studios, while the so-called new Mary Pickford, the angelic Mary Miles Minter, appears to have a box office hit on her hands with her latest release, Tilly. Uh, excuse me, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I've just received news that renowned cinema director William Desmond Taylor has been found dead in his apartment in the Hollywood suburb of Westlake. He was 49 years old. Uh, now, back once again to the music on You Need a Biscuit Time. Los Angeles was just beginning as a metropolis. And the reason, one of the reasons why they went out, these filmmakers went out, was because there was cheaper labor. There was better um, climate. You could work all year round. In 1919, America goes through and experiences a huge economic change. We refer to it now as the Roaring Twenties. There was huge uh, social change in terms of media. There was the advent of cinema, as we know. There was the advent of radio. People's lives were being sexually liberated in, in real life. Well, of course you're going to express it on screen. So it wasn't as if Hollywood was inventing this. We've also got to remember that the 1920s was still the era of prohibition. So you couldn't depict the consumption of alcohol on screen but at the same time, a sizable proportion of the population were consuming alcohol. They got speakeasies. Hollywood was one step ahead and they were taking all sorts of drugs. Cocaine was the drug of choice, even back in the 20s.
Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you some breaking news on the death of filmmaker William Desmond Taylor. We go now to our reporter, Charlie Riley, at the scene. Thank you, Edward. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking to you now live from the Alvarado Court Apartments, home of the recently deceased film director, William Desmond Taylor. Uh, when I arrived here some moments ago, there was already a crowd gathered consisting of neighbors and studio employees uh, who appear to be going through Mr. Taylor's personal belongings, removing correspondence and various other items. There are no police here as yet, though I am informed that an unidentified doctor, no longer present, examined the body and concluded that death was due to a stomach hemorrhage. The body lies fully clothed in the middle of the living room floor. I've been told by neighbors that this prominent motion picture director, who lives here alone, was in fine health and good spirits when he was last seen alive at approximately 7 p.m. yesterday evening. Uh, wait one minute, I see the arrival of law enforcement officers now. They are approaching the body and asking neighbors to step aside. One of the officers is examining the body now. Oh, my. Uh, on turning over the body, a bullet wound is clearly visible. A pool of blood lay concealed beneath the director's lifeless body. Everybody out. This is a crime scene. Ladies and gentlemen, as we are being escorted from the apartment, I can confirm that Mr. Taylor did coffee? not die of a stomach hemorrhage, as has been reported earlier, but was in fact shot in the back. It appears that the director was murdered. Already around me, I can hear murmurings and about potential suspects. Uh, perhaps the best person to cast some light on the shocking revelation is Mr. Taylor's manservant, Henry Peavy, who discovered the body. Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, Mr. Mr. Peavy. Would you mind speaking into the microphone and telling the listening public how you came upon Mr. Taylor's body? Uh, I, I don't want no trouble. Uh, step closer, please. Uh, speak into the microphone. Uh, i I said that I don't want no trouble. I have nothing to do with this. I'm a friend of Mr. Taylor. He was always good to me. Very well. Please, just tell our listeners what happened this morning. Well, I, I came in this morning like I always... Well, no, that's not it at all. You see, Mr. Taylor has bad stomach trouble. Please, please Mr. Peavy, just tell us what happened when you arrived here at Mr. Taylor's yes, residence. Um... I came in here at 7.30 or so, and I noticed something not right. The, the, the front door was locked. Now, now the front door is never locked. And I go through to his living room, and, and there he is, lying flat out on that there purple rug, dead to the world. Did you notice anything else unusual at this point? He was just like I left it last night. He, he, he had his fruit juice cocktail drunk on the table, the cigarettes in the ashtray. He was just lying there in the middle of the floor, his, his eyes closed like he was just resting. Even dead, that man looked good. Thank you, Mr. Peavy. Ladies and gentlemen, I will furnish you with more details on this as they come in. I return you now to the studio and Edward J. McNamara. And so, a tragedy becomes a true crime mystery, with the Fatty Arbuckle scandal already casting a long shadow over Hollywood. Will Taylor's murder put a final nail in the coffin of Tinseltown? It remains to be seen. We will pay close attention to any updates in the story and bring them to you without delay. But in the meantime, please enjoy one of the most popular songs of recent years. Thank you. 
Well, there was a, a number of very, very high-profile scandals that seemed to happen very quick throughout the early 20s. As early as 1920, uh, an actress called Olive Thomas, she died of drug poisoning. But also there was a, a, a very, very popular actor called Wallace Reed, who was this all-American boy. He became addicted to, to morphine and he died in a sanitarium, I think. Charlie Chaplin would have been one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And uh, in 1924, he married a girl called Lita Gray. Now, I say she was a girl because she was. She was 16. She wasn't the first young girl that Chaplin had bedded. So that caused a huge scandal. And then you've got the, the Fatty Arbuckle scandal. Ladies and gentlemen, we have new developments in the William Desmond Taylor case, and so we bring you straight away to our reporter, Charlie Riley, at the scene of the crime. Thank you, Edward. With me now is Special Investigator Ed C. King of the District Attorney's Office. Mr. King, can you tell me what your men have discovered so far? (coughs) Sure I can. We found in Mr. Taylor's pockets a wallet holding $78, a silver cigarette case, and a Watham pocket watch. Two-carat diamond ring was on his finger. Uh, with no sign of a break-in, all immediate evidence suggests that theft was not a motive. Though, as you've seen yourself, we've had a lot of people trampling all over the crime scene, making our job a lot harder. Mr. King, do you have any information regarding the time the murder took place? Forensic examination of the body has identified the time of death as last night at approximately 8 p.m., a full 12 hours before the body was discovered by the director's manservant, Henry Peavy. Thank you, Mr. King. I still have Mr. Peavy on hand. Uh, Mr. Peavy, I've been reliably informed that you have a criminal record, that you were arrested only this week for social vagrancy and charged with being lewd and dissolute. Well, that ain't got nothing to do with nothing. Look here, I don't even drink. I don't smoke either. That's why Mr. Taylor hired me, because of my clean living. As for that incident you're talking about, that was nothing. A misunderstanding. Matter of fact, Mr. Taylor was going to clear that right up. He he was due down to the court tomorrow. Mr. Peavy, you have access to Mr. Taylor's home. You have a criminal record and you have no alibi. At this moment in time, you are the one and only suspect in the case. You looking in the wrong direction. I tell you something, mister. There was fighting here last night. That's right, shouting. That actress was here raising hell. An actress? Which actress? Miss Mabel Norman. That's right. America's number one funny lady was here screaming and cussing. You said Mr. Taylor was killed around 8 o'clock? Well, I left her with him not a half hour before, and he very much alive. Mr. Peavy, do you seriously expect our listening public to believe that these two dignified people were squabbling last night and this led to the world-famous comedian shooting her friend? Come now. Plenty time Miss Norman weren't too dignified. And don't you know she had her own troubles? Now, I ain't telling you something that everybody don't know. Miss Norman was a hophead. You looking at me like you don't believe me? You want to know something else? Miss Taylor hated hop. He he tried to do everything he could to keep people away from that stuff. Now, if Miss Norman didn't do no shooting, she sure knew a lot of dope dealers who wouldn't think twice about pulling a trigger. It all seems pretty plain to me that if you fight with someone and they turns up dead the next day, you got some explaining to do. Perhaps it is not surprising that when a prominent Hollywood figure is murdered that famous names should be bandied about. 
but this latest accusation is indeed sensational. We will, however, endeavor to have Miss Normand respond to these charges herself as soon as she can be contacted. But first, we will return to some music. Mabel Normand was possibly the greatest comedian of the entire silent era. She was tremendously popular. However, she had a drug problem. Now, around this time, that wasn't anything to worry about. You could buy them over the counter, but it affected her quite seriously. And it seems that Taylor had a personal crusade against dope as early as 1915. Perhaps, people think, the sudden death of Taylor was due to his involvement in trying to break up the drug cartel. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm told we have Special Investigator King ready to speak once more to our reporter, Charlie Riley. Special Investigator King, my first question relates to the assertion that Mr. Taylor was a virulent anti-drugs campaigner and that this was the cause of his murder. Can you speak to that? <clears throat> I can confirm that the district attorney's office was approached by Mr. Taylor last year asking for government assistance in combating uh, dope pushers. And what of Miss Norman's alleged drug dependency? What we do know is that Miss Norman admitted herself into Glen Springs Sanitarium in the fall of 1920, having suffered a nervous breakdown. Now, you have to excuse me, I got work to do. Dear listeners, this story continues to snowball, for I have just received some revelatory biographical information about who we have understood to be the genteel Englishman William Desmond Taylor. He is, in fact, William Dean Tanner, an Irishman from Carlow a man who, it seems, was escaping from his past. More on this to follow. His father, who was a major, wanted him to go, expected him to go into the army, and he failed the eyesight test, and this may have led to problems with his father. There were rumors of criminal prosecution, but nobody knows why Taylor, at the age of 18, left Ireland and became a remittance man, which is one of those characters you see so often in old melodramas who is paid to stay away from, from home. Ladies and gentlemen, we have interrupted your regularly scheduled program of dance music to closely follow the sensational breaking news of the murder of William Desmond Taylor. What we know now is that this leading movie director was found this morning lying dead in the living room of his home. He had been shot in the back. There is no evidence to suggest the motive was robbery, and as reports come in, it emerges that half of Hollywood is suspected of his murder. But before we even attempt to solve this murder mystery, we must first address the enigma of the man's true identity. Taylor is as much dramatis personae as any of his on-screen creations. He was born William, rightly enough, but William Cunningham Dean Tanner of Carlow, Ireland, April 26, 1872. How he came to be a Hollywood movie maker all these years later, we are yet to discover. But fear not, ladies and gentlemen, the intrepid reporters of KQL will get to the bottom of this story. 
Taylor settled in New York around 1900, and from a mysterious source in Ireland, he inherited just over a thousand pounds, which enabled him to live in the style of a wealthy gentleman. It was while he was in New York, he met his future wife, who was called Effie Hamilton. Taylor managed an antique shop. He, in 1908, he ordered a member of staff of his antique shop to bring him $600, again, an incredible amount of money. And he sent 500 to his wife and disappeared. There was rumors of a fascinating blonde who'd been in his company, but people think this was a device invented by a lawyer to ensure the success of his divorce because a disappearance isn't enough. In those days, it was common for people to marry mm. if they were homosexual. They felt that there was only two ways to go, be alone or be secretive in your life, or get married, have a child, and try to live this dual life. Many people did this. It sounds horrible. He left them. It was a mutual thing in which he left them. He couldn't take it anymore. He had to be himself, be what he was. You have to look at the motives. You have to see, was the wife bitter? Was she uh, shocked, upset, betrayed? If she's not, then there must be an arrangement. She must know what's going on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it has emerged that police are now seeking to question a former chauffeur of Mr. Taylor, a man by the name of Edward Sands. The authorities believe he may have information which will aid their inquiries. Thank you, Edward. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Special Investigator King with me now to impart some new information on the case. Mr. King, what have forensic examinations revealed? We now know that Mr. Taylor was shot in the back from point-blank range. There appears to be powder burn marks on the gentleman's suit, indicating that the muzzle of the gun was practically touching his back. The bullet traveled in an upper direction from an entry point halfway down his left side. Uh, this indicates one of several potential scenarios, but the one favored by our officers is that the entry wound was created by the killer having their arms around Mr. Taylor when the gun went off, either intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, this would also suggest the assailant was considerably shorter than Mr. Taylor, perhaps five foot, uh, compared to his five foot eleven. Mr. King, are you telling me we have the kiss of death scenario here? <laughs> I'll leave the headlines to you guys. I'm just dealing with the facts. And what of the bullet, Mr. King? What does that tell us? Ballistics show the weapon used was a 38 Smith & Wesson short barrel revolver firing a soft-nosed lead bullet. This type of bullet has not been manufactured for over a dozen years. We're talking about an extremely rare bullet and gun combination here. We find them, we got the killer. Thank you, Mr. King. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the story unfolds. It appears William Desmond Taylor was shot with a rare gun while in a deadly embrace. Edward. Now, another actress very close to Taylor yet to be interviewed is Mary Miles Minter. Her mother, Carol Char... Excuse me. Her mother, Charlotte Shelby, has issued a brief statement to the press saying she knows nothing about the incident and, it seems, attempting to distance her daughter from the deceased man. A peculiar position to adopt, considering the generally held belief that Minter saw Taylor as, at the very least, her mentor. At the time of his death, 
Taylor was living the dream, a career of 30 films as an actor, 64 films as director, and three-term president of the Motion Pictures Directors Association. With such riches, adulation, and fame, women were without question very interested in him, and he had numerous admirers. We have one of them waiting to comment now, the doe-eyed movie star and the last known person to see Taylor alive, Miss Mabel Normand. Thank you, Edward. I'm speaking to you from outside the home of Mabel Normand. Uh, here comes Miss Norman now. The vivacious funny woman of the screen is gaunt in the flesh, her brunette hair accentuating the paleness of her drawn cheeks, and is accompanied by her chow dog. Uh, Miss Norman, thank you for meeting me. You were the last person to see William Desmond Taylor alive. No, I wasn't. What's that, Miss Norman? The last person to see William alive was his killer. The coroner's report has it that he was killed sometime yesterday evening, approximately the time when you were visiting him. Is that what you've come here to do? Accuse me of murdering my friend? Please, Miss Normand, I am just giving you an opportunity to present your side of the story. Can you tell me how long you've known Mr. Taylor? I've known Bill, I don't know, five or six years. Would you say he was a man who might generate murderous enemies? No, no. Bill was the gentlest man in the world. Probably too soft. That was his problem. Henry Peavy accuses you of having a bitter fight with the man last night and claims that on a previous occasion you ripped up pictures Taylor had of you. He said you must have been jealous of rival admirers. The only person jealous of his so-called admirers was Peavy. He'd never been in the company of a man with, of William's class before, let alone work for one. He was besotted with William. You could see it in the way he would look at William, with bovine adoration. Anyway, I don't think Peavy much appreciated my little quips about his fruity get-ups. But come on, green stockings and yellow knickers? <laughs> Can they call me a comedian? So, Miss Norman, what did occur last night? If you want to know, I was borrowing books. I turned down the offer of joining him for dinner and left at about 7.45. Like the true gentleman, he walked me to my car parked on the street, leaving his front door open as he always did. And that is the last I saw of William. But you did return to his apartment since his death. Is that not correct, Miss Norman, to retrieve letters you had sent? That appears somewhat suspicious, does it not? Would you like our private correspondences circulated to every newspaper in the world? Miss Norman, I shall put this bluntly in order for you to respond in a clear and unequivocal manner. Word has it that you have a history of narcotic abuse. Did you not sign yourself into Glen Springs Sanitarium in fall 1920, suffering from a nervous breakdown, a term generally used in your industry to signify drug detoxification? It's also common knowledge in my industry that I suffer ill health, tuberculosis. The only drugs I've ever taken have been prescribed for that illness. However, yourself and Mr. Taylor enjoyed two orange blossom gin cocktails last night, which I need not remind you is illegal under prohibition. Well, how about that? Downgraded from junkie murderer to bootlegger in the course of one little conversation. You are rudely clutching at straws, Mr. Riley. Why don't you find Edward Sands, the man who stole from him and late broke into his house and left insidious little notes? So why don't you find him? There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Mabel Normand, William Desmond Taylor's closest friend, returns to her bungalow, leaving us with the one message. The killer is the missing Edward Sands. You've just heard from comedian Mabel Normand, who has recently been put above suspicion due to the testimony of her driver, William Davis. 
corroborating her version of events. Uh, However, teen star Mary Miles Minter has come under scrutiny due to the discovery in Taylor's home in the last hour of monogrammed handkerchiefs belonging to her, along with a collection of love letters written by her to Taylor. Now, I remind you there is a 30-year age gap between the two. Minter is known to have been close to Taylor, but this latest discovery certainly adds a new twist to the story. Mary Pickford had been America's sweetheart, the most successful woman on the screen, and every producer was looking for another one. And Mary Miles Minter was taken on by Adolf Zukor, who had created Pickford's career, and she was incredibly beautiful. But they often used Pickford's directors to work on Mary Miles Minter because Minter couldn't act. The last director she had before Taylor, I think, was James Kirkwood, uh, a middle-aged man like Taylor, and they had an affair. And I think Mary Miles Minter expected the same thing to happen with this wonderfully handsome Irishman uh, called Taylor. As I speak, our reporter Charlie Riley is making the short walk from Mabel Norman's bungalow to Mary Minter's newly acquired home in the Wilshire district. Uh, no doubt he will get to the bottom of these rumblings. Uh, I believe he is there now. Uh, hello again, Charlie. Edward, I have just arrived at 701 South New Hampshire, the home of Mary Miles Minter. Uh, excuse me, miss? Go away. Excuse me, miss. I'm here to speak with Miss Mary Miles Minter. Of course you are. But she don't live here. This is her mother's house. Charlotte Shelby's house. Am I right in saying you are Mary's sister, Margaret, an actress also? You're half right. I'm her sister, but I ain't no actress no more. I came here to get Mary's reaction to the news that her former director, William Desmond Taylor, was murdered. Apparently, various personal items belonging to her have been found at the victim's house. Ooh, with that kind of talk, it's lucky I answered the door, not my mother. Charlotte would have shot your head off. Your mother possesses a gun? You better believe it. Can you vouch for your mother's whereabouts last night? I can't. But a member of the DA's office who was here can't. That's pretty watertight, huh? And where were you at this time? I was over at Mary's house on a Hobart with Grandma all night. You were in Mary's company at the time of the murder? I don't remember saying that. I said I was over in her house all night. Margaret, who are you talking to? Get away from that door. Are you drinking? Uh, Get inside. Get your hands off me. No comment. We've no comment at this time. Uh, Mrs. Shelby, excuse me. What is the relationship between your daughter and William Desmond Taylor? There's no relationship. She hasn't seen him in months. Can you tell our listeners where your daughter was between 6.30 and 8.00? Oh, my. My word, Charlie. This is sensational stuff. Uh, No sooner is one Hollywood star removed from the suspect list than another one appears. But with each new piece of information comes a myriad of questions. Uh, 
Where was Mary Miles Minter at the time of the murder? Does Charlotte Shelby really possess a gun? And if so, what type? Uh, more importantly, what possible reason could either she or her daughter have for harming Mr. Taylor? Uh, dear listeners, do not worry. We will endeavor to keep you abreast of all developments as they happen. I think for a lot of people you could reinvent yourself in Hollywood. So somebody like Taylor, who would have come from um, a very restrictive childhood, would have been brought up to behave to a very particular code of conduct, education or no education, he was able to leave behind who he started out life as and go to Hollywood and become somebody completely different. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our intrepid reporter, Charlie Riley, has managed to track down Taylor's former driver, Edward Sands. We will now take you directly to Charlie Riley with our special mobile unit. Charlie? Thank you, Edward J. I am reporting to you now from Central Station in downtown Los Angeles. I have managed to get hold of Mr. Edward Sands, Mr. Taylor's former chauffeur. Uh, Mr. Sands, if you could speak to me for one moment, it appears you were about to take a trip out of town. Uh, yeah, that'd be right. I'm just leaving town for a little while, uh, visiting some friends, what have you. Can you tell me, has this departure anything to do with the news this morning of Mr. Taylor's murder? What? What's that? Oh no, that's awful. Mr. Taylor dead? Murdered? I don't believe it. Mr. Sands, are you aware that six months ago Mr. Taylor reported to the police that you forged several of his checks and disappeared with his car? No, must be some mistake, mate. I got on very well with Mr. Taylor, and then that says I didn't alliance. And let me put this to you. Are you not, in fact, Edward Fitzgerald Snyder, born April 4th, 1894, in Marion, Ohio? Ah, uh, I might be. Sometimes I'm called Edward Fitzgerald Strassmore. I'm also known as Jazz. It's Hollywood, mate. I'm whoever I say I am. Anyway, changing your name's not a crime, is it? If it was, Mr. William Dean Tanner would be locked away a long time ago. And you've never even set foot in England, despite what your accent might indicate. Uh, sorry, you're losing me now, Governor. You have, however, been to prison for embezzlement and deserted the Navy on not one but three occasions. Listen, Charlie, we've all done a few things in our life, things we're not proud of, you know what I mean? See, that's why I moved to LA, right? What do they call it? The city of second chances. Sure, we had a fallout, but who doesn't? Did I kill him? You must be having a laugh. I couldn't hurt a fly, let alone a sweet gent like William. I tell you, if you want to find who killed him, check out some of his lady friends. Mary Miles Minter. Nut job. She used to be dropping into his house all hours of the day and night, literally flinging herself at him. Said she'd kill herself if he didn't make love to her. He had no interest, but try telling her mother that. Any man who even looked at Mary, she threatened with that 38 of hers. You try telling me she didn't do it. Now, you'll have to excuse me. I have a train to catch. Mr. Sands, you said Charlotte Shelby owned a 38? Best of luck. Cheerio! Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard William Desmond Taylor's former chauffeur laying the blame of the director's murder firmly at the feet of Hollywood's most rapidly rising star, Mary Miles Minter, and indeed her mother, Charlotte Shelby. But we're not satisfied with mere hearsay here at KQL. I have with me now in the studio Taylor's neighbor, 
and the only person to have actually seen the murderer, Faith Cole McLean. Now, uh, Mrs. McLean, thank you for joining us, and uh, please tell our listeners what you told the police today. My home is directly opposite Mr. Taylor's apartment. Last night, I was startled by a loud noise at around 8 p.m. I went to the front door and came face to face with someone emerging from the front door of Mr. Taylor's house. I told the police interviewers this person looked funny, like a movie actor in makeup. I realize it sounds peculiar, but it is what I saw. The murderer was a woman disguised as a man. Try Lydia E. Pinkham's Vegetable Compound, Miss Pinkham's fail-safe herbal cure for flatulence, dyspepsia, and neural congestion. It contains only all-natural ingredients and 18% alcohol. It's medicated electricity. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Today, Irish-born Hollywood director William Desmond Taylor was found dead in his Los Angeles home, having been shot in the back from point-blank range by a thirty-eight revolver in what reporters have been describing as the kiss of death. A rare bullet has been removed from the director's body, robbery has been dismissed as a motive, and an eyewitness account has a woman dressed as a man leaving the scene at the time of the murder. Now, our reporter Charlie Riley has been closely following the case. We go to him now. Charlie? Thank you, Edward. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking to you now from the morgue of Ivy H. Oberholzer. In a small room behind me lie the remains of William Desmond Taylor. Also in that room is the diminutive Mary Miles Minter paying her last respects. It is my firm belief that there are forces abroad intent on having this crime remain a mystery. To what end, I cannot say, but I give you my oath. I will not rest until the murderer has been identified. No. I see her now. No. Miss Minter, may I have a word? Please, tell me your relationship with William Desmond Taylor. I adored William. It is as if I am now dead too. Miss Minter, several letters professing your undying love for Mr. Taylor were found in his possession at the time of the murder. Do you recall these letters? Oh, I do. I can recite the last one to you from memory. Dearest, I love you. I love you. I love you. Signed with ten X's for kisses. Miss Minter, letters are one thing, but what about the handkerchiefs embroidered with the initials MMM and a pink nightgown that is said to be yours found at Taylor's bungalow? Yes, of course the handkerchief's mine. We exchange trinkets signifying our love all the time, but I challenge anyone, anyone to produce this nightgown proving it is mine. There was nothing improper between myself and... Bill, it was pure. It was a transcendent spiritual love. And we were engaged, of course. You were engaged? It was a secret engagement. Not everyone is so enlightened. Regular people cannot always grasp the connection between artistic individuals, like myself and William. Like your mother, Charlotte Shelby, for example. It is no secret she disapproved of your relationship. She's shown in the past to be very protective of you when it comes to older directors. My mother killed everything I ever loved. You never knew your father, and Mr. Taylor was separated from his daughter only three years your junior. Would you say this might explain your relationship? All I know is this. That since I came to Hollywood, all anyone has ever wanted to do is use me. 
and the only person I have ever come across. And that includes you, my dear reporter man, who didn't want something from me. Was the beautiful Desmond Taylor. And now he lies like a fallen knight. I've seen him, his body cold, deadly cold. No life will return to this man. I wanted to be dead too. Who could have done this to my mate? I said this to the authorities. I claim this man, he is mine. I've been sobbing, sobbing wildly. They crucified Jesus. Now they've crucified, they've crucified my mate. Miss Minter, it is said you often visited Taylor's home at odd hours of the day and night. Did you go to his home last night between the hours of 6.30 and 8.30? Mrs. Shelby, it is important I speak to your daughter. The public needs to know what happened. Stay away from my daughter, or so help me! Good God, she's got a gun! Mary, go to the car! I don't want to see you snooping around my daughter again. You got that fella! She's gone. Ladies and gentlemen, they're both gone. Well, now I have witnessed with my own eyes Charlotte Shelby's tight control over her daughter. I can confirm Shelby does possess a gun, and she's not afraid to brandish it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, after that disquieting episode, I think our frayed nerves could use the soothing balm of music. Every morn my memory strays Across the sea where flying fishes play Ladies and gentlemen, our indefatigable reporter, Charlie Riley, is with lead investigator in the Taylor case, Ed King. And we go to him now. Charlie? Charlie? Thank you, Edward. Mr. King, I have recently been threatened by Miss Minter's mother, Charlotte Shelby, with what appeared to me to be a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. Is this not the same type of weapon used in Taylor's slaying? It is. Is it not also true that Mrs. Shelby has used this weapon to threaten her daughter's co-workers? What we have is the deposition from Mrs. Shelby's secretary, a Miss Whitney, claiming that in the past Mrs. Shelby threatened many people who she thought were getting too close to her daughter, namely actor Monty Blue, director James Kirkland, and allegedly even Taylor himself. And what of the bullets? for this gun. You have said yourself that if you find a gun with rare bullets, you have the killer. It means we probably have a murder weapon, but not a murderer. There are too many people who have access to that weapon, and in any case, Mrs. Shelby has not one, but two people claiming they were in her company at the time of the murder, one being the deputy DA, no less. I'm afraid that's all I can say on the subject currently. Thank you, Mr. King. It seems I will have to get my answers from the horse's mouth. This is Charlie Riley reporting for KQL. Edward? And we're out. Come on, bud. Surely you had that woman nailed. I wouldn't say that exactly. Everybody in Hollywood knows Charlotte Shelby's a fruitcake. <laughs> She's a piece of work, no question. Tell me about the bullets. Yeah, well, that don't look good. Her chauffeur, a guy by the name of Chauncey Eaton, took us to this basement where she said she told him to hide the gun and bullets. And up on the beam, sure enough, that was the 38. Sure, she stuck it in my face this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the kicker. Know what else we found? Uh, hello, uh, Charlie. Soft-nosed lead cartridges. 
One in a thousand. Well, that's it. Take Hello, her in. Charlie. This is Edward in the studio. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. It ain't that simple, Charlie. She got an alibi. Uh, well, uh, apologies, ladies and gentlemen. We uh, we seem to have a minor uh, technical hitch there. Uh, let uh, let us go now to some music. The moguls, the directors, the stars, writers. It was a small, tight-knit thing, as I said. If anybody got in trouble, they were taken care of. A mogul would actually take personal attention to the situation. What they wanted to do was to make it seem like Hollywood is cleaning up its act. In private, Louis V. Mayer would be quite happy to tell his starlets, do whatever you like, but I don't want to hear about it and I don't want it to be to emerge in the public domain. They were able to pay large sums of money, not just to policemen, but to the district attorney, so that um, cases that were really embarrassing were shoved out of public sight. Ladies and gentlemen, the key figure in the Taylor case, Charlotte Shelby, has just called a press conference outside her home. Our reporter, Charlie Riley, is there, and we go to him now. I have been maligned and by innuendo, directly or indirectly, implicated in connection with this tragedy. There is not a single word of truth in anything that has been said connecting me with the case, nor has any public official the slightest evidence which would serve in any way to prove or even indicate that I ever had information which would lead to the arrest of the person responsible for Mr. Taylor's death. I have nothing to concede. Mrs. Shelby, Mrs. Shelby, how do you respond to the accusations that your initial statements to police are characterized by official sources as evasive and, I quote, obviously filled with lies? My attorneys, Mr. Mott and Mr. Castle, are in the house for the purpose of answering questions. I am in too much of a hurry to reach New York to devote any time to an investigation about which I know nothing. Mrs. Shelby, Mrs. Shelby, is it not true you own a 38 caliber pistol and unusual bullets identical to the kind which killed Taylor? And have you not on more than one occasion threatened your daughter's co-workers with his weapon? All I can tell you is that I like Taylor. I had no reason to quarrel with him, let alone kill him. I never threatened him. I had no reason to. There was never any kind of relationship between him and my daughter. Now, I must go. This is my final statement to the press. The only questions I will answer from now on will be from the district attorney's office. And on that point, is it not conveniently coincidental that you should have the deputy district attorney over at your house right at the time of the murder? Also, can you explain the exact nature of your friendship with district attorney Woolwine? I have no further comment at this time. Come along, Mary. We have to catch a train. Goodbye. And so, as soon as she arrived, Charlotte Shelby and her golden-haired daughter are gone. It seems the gun, the, the bullets, the threats, the motive, the eyewitness accounts of a female intruder and the trajectory of the bullet cannot dislodge the suspiciously convenient alibi of Charlotte Shelby. I promised you, dear listeners, that I would identify the killer... Hey, 
Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I do believe that is Margaret Shelby, Mary Miles Minter's sister, hailing me from where she sits on a lawn chair. I I am talking to the listeners of KQL, and I'm telling them, I reckon I've just witnessed William Desmond Taylor's killer stand on that doorstep today and shamelessly face down the press. You know what? You might be right. Do you have any additional information that would help the case? Yeah, I reckon I do. This city is built on dreams. Its foundations are as flimsy as a... Strip of celluloid. Very poetic, Miss Shelby, but what of the facts of this case? Okay, put it another way. This city is built on lies. Nobody here is who they say they are. Their jobs are to pretend. Thank you, Miss Shelby. I take it that the stress your family has been under lately has led you to find refuge in the bottle. Now, I must say goodbye to our listeners and... You're not listening to me! I'm giving you your answer, but... You're just too dumb to get it. That this city is made on dreams? Mr. Taylor didn't die from disillusionment. He was shot in the back. Big mystery, right? No one knows who killed Bill. Now, let's move on and make some more movies. Let's act like it never happened. Who ever could benefit from brushing it all under the red carpet? What is it you're implying, Miss Shelby? Fanny Arbuckle throws a party, an actress dies, and the whole world hears about it. And who suffers? Louis B. Mayer, Adolf Zucker, that's who. The people who make all the money. The people who pay the taxes. That pays the wages of all the policemen. Oh, wait a second. And the district attorney. Miss Shelby, do you have any evidence to say there's been a cover-up in this case? What's there to cover up? The facts are plain to see. Why aren't they being looked into? I don't know. I guess when I'm at the next hundred-buck-a-plate fundraiser thrown by the studio for the re-election of District Attorney Woolwine, I'll ask him. The story is getting old. I gotta go lie down. Be careful, Miss Shelby. Get your mitts off me. me. I don't want your help. You help me, then I owe you. That's how this town works, right? Everything okay here? Inspector King, uh, yes, uh, Miss Shelby fell. Sure I did. I was up there once, on the big screen, up there. But Mary was always the better actress. She made a lot of accusations about studio people. Well, they did get to the crime scene before we did. And the district attorney's office. Well, it don't matter. They're dropping the case. It's finding a permanent position in the unsolved file. But all the evidence... Sure, there's evidence. And I got some more for you. You know how meticulous Taylor was? Had his suits cleaned every day? Well, we just found three strands of long, blonde hair on his lapel. Blonde? But then it has to be... Forget it, Charlie. This is Tinseltown. Film historian Charles Hyam has speculated that uh, Taylor's death came about because Mary Miles Minter arrived at his house that February night and she had a pistol in her handbag, not to use it on him, but to threaten to kill herself if he didn't agree to marry her. 
and it was in the tussle trying to get the pistol back that it went off and killed him. He fell in an unromantic position. <laughs> so she adjusted the body so that it looked better. And I thought that, that says a lot. Ain't nobody's business if I do. And so ends our report. On a day when the Hollywood dream became a nightmare, when Tinseltown's leading light was snuffed out at the hands of an unknown assailant. Many stars of the screen were dragged into the suspect lineup, the city was rocked to its core, and indeed, changed forever. It is a story of lust, love, and human frailty, but with an inconclusive ending. The day an Irishman's murder turns out to be Hollywood's greatest mystery. Who Killed Bill? Starred in order of appearance, Bruce Barker as Ed McNamara, Dermot McGinnis as Charlie Riley, Bob Barnes as Henry Peavy, Roger Gregg as Edward Kane, Chris Edland as Mabel Normand, Susan Zalouf as Margaret Shelby and Mary Miles Minter, Mags McAuliffe as Charlotte Shelby and Faith Cole McLean, and Chris Kent as Edward Sands. Interviewees in order of appearance were lecturer and broadcaster Stephen Benedict, filmmaker and historian Kevin Brownlow, film historian and consultant Mark Wanamaker, and head of film studies Trinity College Dublin, Ruth Barton, research assistant Jane Reynolds. Special thanks to Bruce Long for his extensive research on William Desmond Taylor. Recorded, edited, and mixed by Daryl Morehouse and Danny Green. Written and directed by Mark Ivan O'Gorman. A Tin Pot and Cleverality production. This program was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.